Welcome to the official podcast of PosterSpy.com. I'm Jack Woodhams, founder of the website and your host. This episode's guest is illustrator Freya Betts. Freya has produced illustrations for Disney, Marvel, Netflix and Royal Mail, just to name a few. Her work has been printed far and wide, and notable projects include an exclusive t-shirt range in H&M, as well as wool murals across London, New York and San Francisco for Uber. If you'd like to support this podcast, consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll unlock extended versions of all of our episodes and a whole lot more. Simply head to patreon.com slash posterspy. Hey Freya. Hey. Thanks so much for joining me on the Post Spy podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So recently you took some time out of the city and you were living off grid. Now I just want to know about this, probably going to be living like vicariously through you, but <laughs> the, everything you did and the images you were sharing were like super cool. How did you find that experience? Um, the experience was amazing. It was definitely challenging at times. So I did it for a year and a half, um, living off grid in Cornwall. And when I saw the opportunity, um, I feel like I was being very called to go to nature. Like that was the top of my priority. Um, so we saw this advert and we went to view it and we was like, that's exactly where we need to be. Um, it was definitely challenging and definitely a different way of living because, um, well, not everything is like at a flick of a switch. So, <laughs> um, we had like no electricity. Um, we lived in like a little log cabin in a beautiful sort of valley in Cornwall and, um, if you wanted a cup of tea, you had to um, light a fire. And if you wanted a shower, you had to light a fire. So everything was like fire powered, which was <laughs> very different from living in a house. Um, but the connection to nature made everything so much more worthwhile and a completely different pace of life. So everything was like much slower and you had to put a lot of love into everything. So even just a cup of tea and light in the fire, you had to put so much love into it. Otherwise the fire literally wouldn't light. So everything, <laughs> everything was very, very different. Um, but it was, it was beautiful. Summer was like an absolute breeze and it made me wonder why anyone lived in a house. But then it come to winter and I found, I found the answer <laughs> to, to why, why we live in houses, um, because winter was definitely, definitely challenging. So if you didn't have any electricity, how were you doing your work out there? It's off grid, but with one plug. So <laughs> we didn't have any electricity in the log cabin that we was living in, but up the top of the site, um, there was a little workshop where I built, um, or my other half built an office and it was the most beautiful office ever. And I did have access to one plug, which was just all I needed really, because I could live, I could live without electricity, but I did need one plug to work. Um, so yeah, off grid, but with one plug up the top of the site. So that's, that's how I worked. And obviously, you know, you're back, you're back in a house now in, in a flat. And I can imagine those creature comforts are nice to have back. Yeah, definitely. So it's kind of a di difficult situation at the time, but um, 
so when I was living off grid, I was like so against houses and this way of living and like electricity, basically, like I was really accustomed myself to off grid living. Um, and I came to Liverpool, um, whilst I was traveling in a camper van and, um, I ended up renting a flat for two months. Um, and yeah, so I realized that actually I probably need a balance or I realized that Liverpool and being in a house serves me a lot better at the moment. Um, I think the off-grid living was really a beautiful experience, but I didn't have much work at the time. And over winter, I think the work did start to increase because that was the time that I um, got signed to Poster Posse. Um, and so the work did start to get more and I did need to be more comfortable. So living in Liverpool at the moment is really serving me because I'm very busy at the moment and I'm not sure if I would be able to, well, it's November now. I'm not sure if I would be out in the, in the office slash workshop at this time when it's dark and cold. So yeah, I do enjoy having the comforts now and I do plan to go back to nature, but at the moment with work, everything is flowing here and I'm recognizing that and also appreciating that different things serve you at different times. Like I think the Cornwall experience was very much needed. However, at the moment I need to be here and I need to be connected to electricity, warmth and my comforts to be able to, to be able to have the work, even though I felt like I was completely betraying it by getting a mortgage. But, um, yeah, I, I've I've come to the conclusion that it's okay because it's serving me at the moment. I think as well, living in the UK, doing that kind of lifestyle might be easier somewhere where it's a lot warmer. Almost definitely. But given the UK, I mean literally nine months out of the year are like freezing cold. Yeah. So it's no surprise that you're happy to be back in a flat. Yeah. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad you understand as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think for a lot of people that sort of like, sort of van life off-grid lifestyle is really appealing but the reality is you know in this country I think it is very it would be well it would be very difficult to maintain and you know you yourself have said how without that electricity especially with warmth and things like that it does get really hard yeah whilst winter was definitely challenging like I feel like when you're in a flat or when you're in a house or whatever um you kind of flatline as in you're always comfortable Whereas mm -hmm. when, when you're living off grid or my experience of living off grid, like, um, you have really low, like lows and you're really cold and you're like, why am I doing this? But at the same time you have like up here when you kind of, when you get into the cabin after being in that workshop all cold, <laughs> you get into the cabin, you light a fire and you have like a lovely cup of tea or like a stew that you cooked outside on the, on the barbecue. And it's like, it tastes smoky. And it's just like, ah, where there's lows, there are definitely highs and comforts. Whereas in a flat, like everything's just one, one level. You yeah. know what I mean by that? Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, ebbs and flows, but it was a beautiful experience. When you're in one place all the time, like you said, you just get used to that lifestyle. And from a mood perspective, a lot of people just doing the same routines every single day, right? So it's kind of like, you know, get up, work, do maybe something, go, go to the gym or something like that and go home, sleep next day, exact same thing. So I guess 
living off grid, you would have some different experiences almost every day. You know, nature is never quite the same day to day, is it? So it must be quite nice to do that. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I noticed like you're so in tune with the seasons as well. So I was ending up falling asleep at like five o'clock <laughs> at night <laughs> and then waking up at the crack of dawn just because there was a lack of light or I don't know, you start to notice like the times of the year by the lambs being born and like the flowers that pop up and like, oh, wow, we're coming to the end of winter now. And yeah, you become much more attuned to things like that. You say about falling asleep at, at certain times. I feel like I'm that like that do now. Do you do that in the too? House. <laughs> I, I fell asleep before this podcast. I had a nap. I love a nap. It, it got dark outside, and I was just like, well, I guess I might as well have a nap. Yeah. Before this thing. Okay. Well, <laughs> you can do it without all the nature. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably be even worse in nature. Yeah. As soon as there's a like the sun goes down, that's it. Yeah. Half past four. That's it in bed. So most people would describe your work as realistic, although there is a flair of uh, you know there's a painterly element to them as well. So. Uh, you know, I've been following your work for a long time now. And from what I can see, you know, the style has been very consistent. But was there a time where you experimented with other styles? And did it take you, a, you know, a long time to sort of get to this point and say, okay, this is actually what I want to work in? Or have you always been sort of like the realistic, you know, illustrator? Okay, yeah, that's actually very, very relevant to where I'm at at the moment. Um, so I have always been super intrigued by realism. Um, I've always been driven to that throughout my whole life and particularly faces. However, I've come to a particular time of my life where, okay, so the best way to describe it was that I've had a re reoccurring dream for six years now, like since I was 20. And the dream was that I was back at school and I was in like an art lesson and I kept saying in the dream, like, no, why, why am I here? I work now. Why have I gone back? And honestly, for six years, I couldn't pin it. I didn't know what that meant. And, um, I went to a medium to even ask about this dream. However, it's just occurred to me that it makes so much sense now, but it occurred to me that I need to go back to that experimental stage. So, I went to, I did A-levels and then I went straight into an apprenticeship. I didn't go to university, which I think was very beneficial for my path because I did want to fast track to um, employment because I was like, I want to be exactly there. However, it didn't give me any room for experimentation because you can't get anything wrong because you're working for clients, like it has to be exactly how they want. So I didn't, I didn't really get a chance to experiment. And I think that's what that dream was touching upon. Like go back to that school phase where you try pencils, you try oils, acrylics, um, charcoal, and that's literally what I'm doing at the moment. So I suppose, um, I've literally just gone to the art shop and I've bought every single medium that I can think of and I'm trying so many different types and just exploring and getting things wrong and thinking okay that's fine let's try something else um and I think so many people feel like that they have to pick one style um yeah. and when they feel resistance to that 
it's because their body or their subconscious or themselves is asking for that experimental stage. And I think people should definitely explore that. It shouldn't be like, no, I'm going to just stick with one phase. Definitely, definitely try some new things and see where that takes you. And I think that's what I'm doing at the moment. So do you think you will move away from that hyper-realistic style? Okay, so I don't think I will move away from it. But what I'm trying to do at the moment is... I've been so heavily reliant on reference image imagery, which means that I've I noticed that I was almost like a a printer, like a just I just replicated an image, and uh, the best way to describe it was I could paint a radiator or I could paint a face, like I could just copy the image. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm just basically like in my mind just replicating the pixels. But at the moment, I'm trying to completely take away the reference and I'm trying to draw from imagination, um, draw a face like entirely from scratch with, without looking from at anything. Um, so I'm trying to learn the human face without the image telling me where the lighting is going to be, telling me where the proportions are. And I'm trying to start from the beginning and work my way up and... I am aiming to do this realistically, but I think there's a big gap where I need to train myself to get that to that place. And that's where I'm at, at the moment, just experimenting. Um, so at the moment, it's not looking as realistic as my digital paintings um, or even my oil paintings when I'm referencing something, but um, I'm getting there. So yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a, a different twist. And also... Having reference sometimes is quite limiting because sometimes I can have an idea in my head, but I can't find the reference for it. Um, that can be with film posters or it could just be if I want to um, paint someone that I, you know, like a famous person and I can't find a good reference, um, that can be limiting because I'll be like, okay, well, I can't do it then. So this opens every single door because I can I can do it what's in my head with no limitations if I can't find the image because I'm just doing it from my imagination. So yeah, I'm excited to see where that takes me. Has this kind of come about through your own experience or was it also an influence of like, say, when a client comes to you and maybe they want to work on something and you struggle because that you don't have those references like you mentioned? Is it a balance between that or is it mainly just sort of like your own instinct to try and change? How you're working. Okay, so it's definitely been a problem. Not a problem, but there has been that theme where a client has said, Well, can you do this? And I'm like, Okay, can you supply the reference? And they say, I haven't got the reference. And I'm like, Oh, well, then <laughs> how do you expect me to do it? Um, and I did start to see like this was a common occurrence. And I was like, Well, it would be amazing if one day I, I don't need that reference and I can just create what they want um, without the limitations. Um, so looking back, I do see that that was a problem. Um, however, recently, um, I don't know. So I've had like a burst of self-exploration because I left Jelly. So I think that's what's activated this in me. And Jelly was your was an agency you're working with, they're based in London, Yes, right? sorry, I forgot to mention that part. But yeah, so my agency, 
that I was signed to and was my main source of income. Um, I was, I've recently left them because I, um, I signed a contract with a client to work for like a substantial amount of time. It was about nine months. Um, and then I've come to the other end of that contract and I'm like, Oh, where does my money come from? Um, and so I noticed this comfortability whilst being with jelly that everything was handed to me on a plate. And, um, so it was, it was comfortable. Like I didn't need to go out searching, you know, I did like personal projects here and there, but you know, there was no push. Everything was fine. I was getting a flowing income and yeah. So I guess I came out on the other end of the contract and thought, okay, so it was handed to me on a plate, but now I've got to forage it myself. So I almost saw it as starting with a blank canvas. And I was like, just give me the biggest motivation to delve into my art like I have never experienced before. So I think that's what's kickstarted me. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I can push fine art. Um, and yeah, I guess that also ties in the Wacom problem that I've been having. Mm -hmm. I know you was going to ask, but I've noticed. Yeah. And you keep losing, you keep losing, I keep your pens. losing my pens. I'm on my fifth one this year. Um, although that might be an organizational problem or um, <laughs> a memory issue, I'm not sure, but they genuinely like vanish from midair. Like they are not to be found and it makes no sense because not all the time do they leave this apartment. But, um, yeah. So I noticed like I was having an abundance of issues with technology. So obviously I'm on my fifth whack on pen. I've currently left my laptop in Cornwall. Um, I can't even remember the rest, but just so many issues whenever like I'd go somewhere, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't bring the, the right leads or anything like that. Um, and I think to be honest, I think that might be directing me or maybe my subconscious, logically doing this but directing me to maybe tap into fine art a bit more <laughs> right stay away from stay away from the tech it could literally be that i was like maybe this is what it is because at the moment i only have my pencils with me <laughs> you know what i mean how, how did you manage to leave your laptop so that's just oh. there in cornwall now do you know where it is i know where it is it's been looked after but yeah i left i just <laughs> left it in where i was staying oh nightmare nightmare it does sound like a nightmare yeah. i don't I don't know how, how how you manage it you need to get like a wacom necklace you know like a and then you can have it around your neck yeah. all the time you'll never lose it ever again I've, I've done things like um tying it to the computer and but then with a bit of um a bit of string but then the string gets tangled oh, i've i've always been like this to be fair i used to have to like drill holes in my bank cards and like tie them to my bag and but trust me, I would lose my bag as well. Like, this is kind of just me. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you can tie things to as many things as you want, but eventually they'll find a way to, to escape. as well, yeah. <laughs> so with your work as it is now then, and you've got the, you know, the, the realism, and I know you said you're going to sort of step away from that, but obviously I think a lot of people are going to be interested to know about your, you know, existing work and how you've worked on these various projects. So I remember when I used to draw 
and I used to hate drawing like detailed clothes. I say I used to draw. I mean, I still draw every now and then. But yeah, I used to hate drawing like detailed clothes and I'd always like skip it and like shade in areas to avoid certain things. Is there anything like that for you in your work? Yeah, I feel you with that one. For some reason, I have like an unlimited patience of drawing faces. Like they totally encapsulate me. Um, I can draw face after face after face. But then when it comes to <laughs> their t-shirt or if there's a pattern on it, just my my brain just doesn't have the same interest. Or some, yeah, I don't know. Um, the landscapes as well. It just it just doesn't click with me. But faces and like the the skin texture, it makes no sense because technically, like it doesn't matter what you're painting. Like I'm still painting the same sort of pixels, whether it's like a pattern in the t-shirt or the skin texture in someone's face or the each hairline of their hair but for some reason yeah I I can draw face after face but patterns in clothing no <laughs> no I'm the exact yeah. same I actually think we're both quite similar when it comes to that because oh, okay. I, I also was someone well I, I am someone that really likes portrait yeah and yeah as soon as it's anything else like the clothing I, I could just remember I even used to just draw like the outlines of like shoulders yeah like you know and just skip all this bit. absolutely like, just shoulders this yeah it. I'm like I'm gonna <laughs> go for a painterly effect where I do like a really refined face and then I just disperse yeah. it in, in brush strokes yeah, yeah. and I'm like I was meant to do that not because <laughs> I was impatient <laughs> I want to sort of go back a little bit actually yeah. to the fact that you mentioned leaving jelly mm. and you felt almost too comfortable with them and then you wanted to leave to sort of I don't know find your own yeah. way I think that's a really interesting <laughs> decision because I think a lot of artists are almost trying to find the opposite yeah. they would rather be with an agency and have that more consistent work yeah. what was it for you that made you want to change to just finding your own way I guess at the time I was going through a bit of a self awakening or awakening in myself and I I actually like yeah I liked the fact that I was going to step into my own independence um the contract that I took on with that particular client that enabled me to leave jelly I really liked that I was liaising myself with the client whereas jelly would normally liaise for me but I really enjoyed the fact that I was putting my own energy out um and as well for me uncomfortability kind of results in growth so I kind of felt like I was stepping into myself through all of this uncomfortability like don't get me wrong when I was doing negotiations and liaising with a client like there were times when I wasn't too confident but I had to I had to be confident and I had to like believe in myself and that was that was a bit of a journey in itself but I think through that uncomfortability I have learned more than being in the comfortability so I in a way I enjoyed it and being on the other end I feel like I've come out a bit stronger going through those hurdles and learning curves and are you allowed to talk at all about this new client that you're signed to I can I can briefly talk about it um it was actually an nft project it hasn't launched okay. yet um I know N nfts are controversial but yeah, I, I decided to jump on it. And I think actually when we was talking about no reference, I think this is actually where it started because with NFTs, you can't, um, unless they're licensed, you can't 
do any uh, IPs, I guess. Um, so the same way in that you couldn't create a poster and sell it without the license for that. Same way. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I don't do that either. <laughs> but um, yeah, and so I had to create a character from my imagination and I had no reference either. Um, so that was quite an interesting brief. And I think that's where that probably started. Um, that whole removing the reference. Um, so yeah, that was, that was really good. It was, it was an interesting project to work on because I guess with film posters, you're working with characters that are already created, like, they already exist. Whereas this NFT project, we we created this this character, and we um we created seven thousand four hundred and twenty artworks. Um, yeah, so it's basically like one character, about a hundred attributes, like different hat, hair, and all of that. But yeah, it was good. It was for a medicinal cannabis company. So so in a previous interview, yeah. you mentioned how working in film and in that kind of industry helps you because you do rely on like the assets and things like that to draw from whereas now you are stepping away from that i think that's really interesting to actually have read that you've literally changed the way you work from that interview which was probably two years ago or something to now a lot of illustrators that i know who are interested in this podcast are very similar in the terms of you know photorealism and things like that what kind of advice would you give to those people who may be looking to go outside of their comfort zone a bit? I think the advice that I would give them is literally like to tap into their heart and their soul, if that makes sense. Um, and to go on a path of exploring similar to what I was referring to at the beginning of the podcast, but like, trying to find what really activates them in here, like what excites them and art wise and to explore that. And a bit of advice of like how to find that for me, I noticed was to look in, look, look on Pinterest basically and pull out all of the things that I'm like, Oh, I really like that. And then have a really big mood board, maybe like refine that. And then go down little avenues, try out different things, maybe similar to what I've just gone and done and um, go and buy lots of different mediums and explore. Yeah, I feel like being so reliant on reference doesn't always mean you tap into your imagination. Like like I said, you kinda, you're copying something, aren't you? And you're not really tapping into outside of the box which is kind of why I do really enjoy film posters because you are combining a, an original composition and that does become quite imaginative but yeah for someone that wants to reach uncomfortability or step outside of what they're normally doing I would probably advise them to maybe do what I did and like just even like in the evening say if you know, you've got a style nailed down and that's your career and that's what your clients come to you for. And that's what you spend all day, every day doing. But you could still like, I don't know, maybe an hour and evening, just doodle, just do something completely out of what you've ever known of doing um, and see where that takes you. Because I've learned so much by 
just doing the opposite of what I've done and then bringing that back into what I know and just learning different things from pencils, from uh, oil paintings, from acrylics, like come away from the digital side of things. And yeah, and also to not put too much pressure on yourself. Um, Not everything has to be seen on Instagram. This is something that I've had to really strip away. Like I've had to basically shake hands with myself like okay what I'm about to do doesn't have to be perfect doesn't have to be realistic it doesn't have to be amazing and it doesn't have to be seen either like this is just for me and suddenly you create like an environment where there is less pressure and it's okay to make mistakes because you do learn from those mistakes I think sometimes I would get boggled down by I'm going to do this drawing and it's going to be on Instagram because I need to do a new post because I haven't posted in a while and that pressure definitely makes me feel like I have to be as realistic as possible. Everything has to be perfect. But yeah, to just have those dedicated times where you really explore and also tune into what really activates your heart as well. Um, just find that spark within you. I think, I think that would be my advice. No, I think that's great advice. And, you know, from someone who runs a website that's all about, you know, sharing work and then obviously the Instagram side of it and the Twitter side of it and everything, it is, it it does kind of in a way work against itself because you do want people to experiment more and you do want people to try new things. But then I think a lot of people do work in a certain way to try to um, beat the algorithm in a way. You know, you you, you work and you, you release something that you see has become popular. And then in your brain, you're like, people like that. Guess I should do more of that. But the reality is if you keep doing that, then you're never really going to evolve as an artist if you are only creating based on what other people have liked in this sort of social environment. Yeah, that's actually a really big thing that I'm overcoming at the moment. So when I was saying that I'm starting from a blank canvas and I could you know, all I've ever done up till now was film posters, but I'm trying to scrap the reference. So something that was on my mind was what I really like about the film poster art. And when you put it on Instagram is that you do get good reactions. And I notice when I do art of people that are recognizable, um, the people who I show it to, they instantly connect to it and they're like, Oh, wow. Like that's so-and-so. And I, I like that because I like to see people react from my art, but yeah, I guess sometimes it is coming away. And, um, so the, the stuff that I do without reference isn't known people. Um, it's people from my imagination and faces from my imagination. And I guess I've had to strip that as well, where I'm like, maybe this won't be so popular or hopefully I do get some good reactions, but it's not all about that because I do find that I was picking portraits of people from films I haven't even seen, you know, and it was just like, it was because it was current and it was popular, but I don't know whether that was entirely authentic, you know, because I'm, I'm rooting for those reactions and validation, I guess, as opposed to what really interests me. So coming away from the IP stuff yeah. and you know the film and TV and whatever, does are you sort of worried at all about what you will be doing and yeah. the style you will be working in and how you will sort of hate to say it, but you know, monetize that? Yeah. How are you going to make a living off that kind of style? Mm. So I don't think I would ever 
come away entirely from film posters. Like that is genuinely my passion as well. But I think I might become more authentic um, through this because I guess like how I said, um, I was picking things because they were popular, not because I liked them. And I think this reference stuff, this is a question that I have been asking myself, like what you just asked me, it has, this has been playing on my mind, but I think, and I hope that I would entwine both together. And through that, my Instagram profile or my portfolio will be more authentic because I'm picking the films that I'm deeply connected to. And, and as well, I'm activating the stuff that makes me happy. And I hope that it will get to a point where both complement each other and it I will start to define a style or something and it it will flow a bit better but I don't plan to completely disregard film posters like I absolutely love them that film is my passion as well um so yeah I don't know I guess maybe that would be found out along the journey and I'm still yet to discover but yeah, I hope that the stuff without reference isn't going to be entirely new, or maybe it will, but I'm just in the experimental process at the moment. Well, I'm sure you're familiar with Muragaya, who we're both yeah. quite good friends yeah. with, and he kind of went through this same journey, didn't yeah. he? Like He originally started with really trying to get into the film poster scene and then realised that it just wasn't working for him. It wasn't the style he wanted. Yeah. It wasn't even really what he wanted to do. And then he went off and just did a load of stuff on his yeah. own. And he, he actually is going to be a guest on this podcast as Amazing. well. So I'm quite looking forward to speaking to him about this. But he went off and started doing his own work, his own personal stuff. And then sort of like uh, fate, if you like, the posters came back to him. He didn't even then have to start, you know, working on them himself. Mondo came to him and said, you know, can you do this in your in your new style, wow. in this style that you've worked on? And I think that is a really his story for me is like always one I tell to people because Yeah. Like you said, I think a lot of people they they start working in the film poster world because one it's stuff people like, you know, you do you do a, a Star Wars illustration, you're almost guaranteed some attention on mm. it. And people will say, you know, oh that's cool. And I like Star Wars, so cool stuff. But then you do start to get to a point where you're like, I didn't even really like that one that much. Why am I still doing this, you know, poster for this movie that I'm not that interested yeah. in? Like you said, even you found yourself doing some illustrations for for film posters or whatever that you weren't actually that mm. invested in. I think a lot of artists would like to go down the journey he's been where he stepped away, worked in his own style, similar to what you now want to be doing. And then it comes back when it needs to, rather than going out purposely making you know, IP related stuff. And I think for, for a lot of artists, that would be a more fulfilling way to work. There's a lot of artists I know who do stick very heavily in IP and then they do have this exact same problem. They get to a point where they say, I'm a bit fed up with this now, Like, what? but now I don't really have my own sense of anything yeah. because my, my work's so heavily rooted in, in the IP stuff. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting that you mention him because throughout um my career he's always been someone that really inspires me because I guess he has tapped into his authenticity and it you know I remember he if something wasn't right whether it was with an agency or whether it was a new style that he had to go down like he would be so in tune with what he wants um, and whether that would be leaving the agency or whether it would be scrapping the film posters, actually, no, I want to try this. Like, it's amazing how responsive he was and 
it is risky sometimes just switching up and being like, because I remember the agency was like, oh, um, we're not too sure on your new style. And he was like, okay, well, bye then kind of thing. And I think that's really good to be so true to you. Um, and yeah, I guess, I guess if you focus constantly, I guess it's just a balance, isn't it? You've just got to really ask yourself the authenticity of what you're doing. And I think that's the questions that I've been asking myself too just delving into what makes you truly happy because I think when you create from what truly happy what makes you truly happy then it comes back to you in the same situation as sham because the art that you put out if it fulfills your soul and your heart then you're going to be creating better art and you're, you're going to be happier and then you put out that art and then hopefully the clients come to you for that particular heart-filled art that you're creating you know and it does come back to you in the end now is almost a good time for a lot of artists to kind of say you know what i'm gonna try and do stuff for me now yeah. because these social medias it's clear now that i think the thing is is that a few years ago it almost felt like social media this sounds so ridiculous but it almost felt like social media cared about what you put on there mm -hmm. in the sense that you know there would be people that would see things and whatever you'd post would get some kind of traction. But now, because everything is so algorithm-based and, you know, I've seen some some profiles that have like 20, 30, 40,000 followers, whatever, they'll get like 50 likes on something. I see that because too. Because it's just not, <laughs> yeah, because it's just not hitting whether or not it's the algorithm or whatever. And actually, just as an example, I put out a reel on my own personal account the other day and it got 480,000 views. It's still getting more views, right? It's the most, it's, it's, it's not even like a good video in terms of like quality, but it just goes to show that that doesn't even really matter now. So if you're putting out like the most amazing work, at least, you know, you think it looks absolutely fantastic and it probably does deserve a lot more attention. If it's not getting that, it is nothing to do with like the quality of your work or how good you actually are. And all of these things feed into that sort of artist, um, doubt in a way don't they you know you don't know if you're good enough social media is not giving you the 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 sort of uh attention that you're sort of craving from the work or at least validation if you like from what you're posting out there so yeah now's a good time to just pack it all in and yeah. <laughs> try, try, just go out and try different things yeah. you know why not yeah it's definitely difficult at the moment like i remember having the pressure of knowing that instagram favors reels or anything moving i'm mm. like okay well everything that i do is completely static and like forcing myself to learn how to do reels which was actually enjoyable it was just my stubbornness that i didn't want to do it but suddenly we have to become like editors and like mm -hmm. piece together this perfectly and aesthetically beautiful reel, which is unnatural. Like I remember, I remember feeling so much pressure to have my workspace looking the way it did or my setup. So it would look good on a reel, which is just, it's not natural. Like, um, so that, yeah, there's this pressure. And then if you don't do that, then you're not seen as much, or even if it doesn't look as good. So it's a shame that it's got to that I definitely missed the Instagram before the heavy, heavy algorithms that when you would just be seen and you didn't have to fight for it or, or pay for it either. Um, but I don't know, maybe, maybe it will lead to a new wave of, I don't know, wave of something. Well, we're already seeing loads, loads of other social media uh, companies popping out of yeah. nowhere. I mean, I've personally not joined any because I struggle just keeping up with like the three that I do oh. have. Um, and I think it's quite insane that, no, well, not insane, but 
it's difficult and it's hard to encourage people to join new social networks yeah. when they're already probably struggling with what they have got. I mean, what most people have got an Instagram, a Twitter, a Facebook, their own website, probably other stuff as well. You know, if they have like a post to buy account, for example, like a DeviantArt, a Behance. I mean, how many accounts do people need yeah. <laughs> to, to keep to keep uploading to? And, you know, now there's like Hive, for example, and there's that Mastodon that people are joining. I mean, I saw all this on Twitter and I was like, oh, I'm not going to join any of these. I just can't be bothered. Mm. Um, you know, and from a business perspective, that's probably a terrible decision because if people are moving to these, it probably would be good to have a presence there. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm so over that at this point, yeah. you know chasing the social media just to get more more what i don't know exactly it's odd isn't it it's odd that we're defined by a number as well like just a random number like your followers someone's seen i don't know more creditable if they have followers like more followers it's a, it's a shame it's got like that but um yeah it's also humongously time consuming like i don't want to be a slave to my phone and i don't want to be a slave to instagram either i don't f want to feel like i have to output so much when it's when it's not needed it's like i remember i remember before instagram i think i got instagram when i was 18 years old which is, which is actually quite late <laughs> in my life but um i remember when i got it before that like naturally i would only paint like five portraits a year and that would only be when I really actually that that was a lie let's go with hold on let me say that again I would naturally only paint um about 10 portraits a year and yeah and then the, the pressure of Instagram means that you want to be doing like one every week or I think artists especially well everybody not even just artists at this point in time, we're all forced to rely on social media. I think for most people, it's all we know. It's all we know how to get our work out there, how to find new clients, how to, you know, socialize even, you know, with people that aren't just in our direct vicinity. It's the only way we know to actually be seen. Although it can become very toxic, it has benefited me quite significantly. Like in particular, um, I use this example, but when I did that fan based um series on sex education um because of social media it was noticed by netflix and Net netflix posted it and then all three of the characters commented and interacted and shared shared it um which then led to netflix asking to actually buy the artwork which then led to them getting printed on t-shirts in h&m and also led to me working on series free artwork the official artwork so although we can um i don't know we can see social media as a negative it definitely can have a really positive impact in who you can reach out to um like because back in the day like how how else would you have such exposure like i guess it goes back to like if you're an artist it it confuses me like how would you show someone your art like to have a platform with thousands of people or maybe not thousands anymore because of the algorithms but to be able to gain that reach with such easy access is amazing as well but yeah, I do think, I guess there needs to be a balance. Like you shouldn't be a slave to it. It shouldn't be your only source of validation. Like you shouldn't do art only because you want the likes or because you, Instagram makes you feel like you should 
post something every single day. But I guess maybe that even points the finger at Instagram for having those harsh algorithms. And if you don't fit in, then it's difficult to be seen. So maybe that's not all of us, but yeah, I think there should be a balance. And like, I would absolutely love to go to more real life exhibitions and hold some as well. Like, I think, I think that's where we lack as well, because Instagram is just so fast paced. Like you look at an image and you probably don't look at it for longer than five seconds and everything's just like scroll, scroll, scroll. And like, are you even taking that in entirely and noticing and appreciating everyone's brush stroke? Like, and also the art is seen like a few centimeters long, like that's a shame really. Um, so I would love to go to more exhibitions where you stand there and you get the atmosphere and you feel it and you discuss with the person next to you what that image or painting is doing for you. And yeah, I think there definitely needs to be more of that because with Instagram, we're not having those discussions with people. We're not getting that atmosphere of it being stood in front of you. No, I completely agree. And I, and I do understand your points about, you know, the, the upsides of social media and they definitely exist. I mean, I wouldn't have my business if it wasn't for social media, put it that way. Exactly. You know, I wouldn't be able to work with who I work with. I wouldn't have the, the contacts, the clients, whatever, if it wasn't for social media. And I think that's the case probably for most people working now. Um, but you, like you said, there is that point where you need to realize that I'm not just going to work for social media in the sense of getting that attraction and getting that that those likes or whatever it needs to be sort of um a natural thing it needs to be a natural progression how you work and if people that follow you suddenly don't like your new style or work that you do well then i guess they weren't ever meant to be following you in the first place in a way um but yeah i completely agree with the exhibition thing as well i mean i would like to do another one next year the last year when we did the terra twos um show that was great like i loved having that on and it was great to have, it was just after sort of lockdowns were lifted as well so i think people were really keen to get out and see people again um but now you know i mean things are pretty much back to normal for most people um and i think now would be a great time or at least next year you know when when the weather starts warming up a bit to do some uh, exhibitions again and hopefully we'll, I'll, I'll be able to do one. That would be amazing. And as well, like the social side of things, going to post-spy events and exhibitions, that's such a great way to connect with people. Like that's often what I get asked for advice. Like how do you get out there or what what advice can you give me? I'm just starting off. And it, it would literally be to like connect with people and hear their stories and see their artwork and support them. And in return, like normally they support you. And, um, yeah, it's really valuable to like meet people face to face or even put a face to a name and yeah, just, I don't know, socialize. You won't believe how many times <laughs> at these events, people have come up to me and been like, oh yeah, you're, the, you're, you're the Jack guy. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but I have no idea who you are because all I see online yeah. is like an avatar. an avatar, like an avatar of like, yeah, some, some illustration or some character from a, from a movie or something. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know who you are, but it's always nice to then, you know, realize who those people are and, and know that you've spoken before and have that connection. And it is, it is nice to do those kind of things. So yeah, hopefully I will. In a way, it's actually why I started doing this podcast as well, because although this isn't, you know, in person, um, having these filmed elements as well and being able to introduce the guests to people on a bigger scale is, is, is a great thing to do. And I think there's going to be so much people will learn from, from this podcast as well. So thank you for this. Oh, thank you for having me on. <laughs> 
but yeah, no, I, I learned so much and it's nice, you know, not always are we surrounded by like-minded people in this field. So to hear podcasts or to meet them in person and talk about all the, the little things that happen in our careers, um, like artistically and with clients or even I remember, <laughs> I remember talking about taxes and accountants, so, you know, <laughs> it's just nice to connect with like-minded people, isn't it? The kind of thing we should have been taught in school and were not taught I in know. school <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that brings me nicely to the end of this episode, Freya. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Post Spy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. You can help fund this series directly by supporting us on Patreon, where you'll also be given access to extended versions of each and every episode, discounts with our partners, and a whole lot more. Simply head over to patreon.com slash postspy. If you're looking for daily design inspiration, visit postspy.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at postspy for all of the latest updates. 